Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Palate Exposure, featuring Ilona Thompson, a podcast for those seeking the ultimate in wine, food, and travel. Each week, she interviews winemakers, chefs, celebrities, and a variety of guests that shape the way we enjoy life. Good afternoon. Welcome. We really appreciate you all joining us. I know it's a difficult time for a lot of you, but I have some good news. You now are in the privacy of Steve Riddle's office, and you don't even have to wear pants. You <laughs> have to wear pants, and we can see. I have to wear pants. Yes, <laughs> you guys can be in your pajamas. You know, I hope that you're nice and relaxed, and you don't have to worry about a thing. I mean, typically we'd ask you not to wear perfume. Now you can. You can pretty much do whatever you want. A friend of mine sent me a really funny little tidbit. She said she saw a post that said. I'm either going to come out of this quarantine totally balanced with my chakras aligned and great attitude and have lost some weight, or I'll be an absolute overweight raving bitch. Do you guys have choices? (laughs) (laughs) You can, we're here for you, in other words. So we'll help you be your best self. That's the purpose of this. I am here with three pretty great individuals. Um, It's Steve Reynolds, of course, and we'll get into his background in a minute. Hi, Steve. Hey there. Paul Salcedo. Hello. And we have a fabulous moderator, so you guys need to contact him with all your burning questions, the hospitality manager, James Lovitz. So he's watching. Make sure that he has something to do, so ask lots. So I will start with Paul because he's a facilitator and a host for the most. He's got a fantastic company called Bottlehead. Tell us about it. Hi, thanks, Alona. So, um, I, I'll tell you a little bit about Bottle Van. Um, we, Steve, you know, we we connect producers like Steve uh, to essentially use their their uh, their products, like their bot, to make the bottle smart, as well as um, a bunch of different avenues. And um, it's essentially what we've done with Steve is uh, he has his um, all his bottles of wine. That we've uh, put NFC chips on, which is a smart label, and essentially you can take our bottle of an app and scan any one of his wines. Uh, I believe we were at eight, about over eighty thousand bottles of Steve's right now that actually have the technology. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for everything that you do. I think it's so important right now that folks like yourself are stepping up and generously donating their time and goodwill. We're so interconnected. We just didn't know it. And now it's in our face. And those of us that reach out um, and extend themselves, I think, are the true heroes of this really difficult moment. Um, speaking of true heroes, um, I, as I introduce myself, I'm Ilona Thompson. I have a platform called Palette Exposure. And it's now heavily focused on audio and podcasting. The reason for that is because I have been very privileged to have been listening to some wonderful stories for really for the better part of the last two decades. And there was no way to bring it to you guys other than through writing, which is a medium that's somewhat limiting. So I'm very happy that with the technology in hand, I'm able to let you listen in on conversations, which is what my podcasts are. It's just a conversation that is recorded of people that truly are worth getting to know. And Steve is certainly one of those people. As a matter of fact, we did record a podcast with him a few weeks back, and that is available if you're still craving more information after this um, 
live show, um, there's a lot of fantastic stories um, that Steve shared. So please check that out. Ilona, can yeah. I interrupt real quick? Uh, I'm, I'm going to throw up a website so you guys can see. I forgot to show this. Um, if you look at the screen, the first website I'm showing right now is, um, is Reynolds Family Winery. If you go there and you hit shop, that's where you can look at all the great wines that they're selling. Uh, Ilona's Pellet Expo Exposure right here is, um, this is her website. You'll see I, I clicked it straight where the, um, the podcast is of Steve. Um, and then here's the, uh, the Bottle of In website. And at the Bottle of In website, um, what we're going to do is actually, uh, sorry, let me click on this. If you go to the news and events right here, it's, it's our blog. We will end up uh, putting all this content in there, and I know I know Ilona's going to do that as well as Reynolds. So I, I would look for our blogs to get any content. The other beauty about this, guys, is that um, you will uh, Facebook will keep this on there as a live stream, so you can you can watch the video and then you can pause it and, and do any of the QR codes that you want to do. Um, so it won't it's it's something that we will you, you'll get all the information that you can watch again. So back to you, Ilona. Thank you. And now we get to talk to Steve, the hero of the hour, and Steve wears many hats. I don't know many vintners with dentist background. I think you might be the only one. Certainly, you're a fantastic winemaker, uh, great dad, great husband, and now you met the love of your life, your partner in crime in 1993. You guys made a very bold move in 1995 when you launched the brand. So tell us all about it. Well, can I start drinking? Uh, I thought you already have. I'm just no, well, you know, well, I kind of did before we went on air, but <laughs> I, figured, I figure, you know, probably everybody at home has at least a glass of wine going already, so I figure it's only fair that I get to wet my palate. So I will start with the first wine that we'll work into, but um, yeah, so actually, um, I'm very blessed. You're right. The uh, the anchor, the main main person in my life, Susie. Um, you know, I was very blessed. We got to know each other through her older brother many, many years ago and started dating and we've been together for, I'm going to say about 30 years now. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, without her, this winery would not exist. So very blessed. Here's to you, honey, of course. Um, so yeah, we had this crazy idea of coming to Napa and we thought we'd just be gentlemen farmers and I would stay a dentist and she possibly stay in the insurance world. And, uh, but, you know, one thing led to another. We fell so in love with this property that um, we decided to make it all the eggs in that one basket. So really long story short, um, what started as a vineyard then became a winery, then became both of our main source of income or livelihood. And uh, this, that we're drinking right here, or Chardonnay, and I'll let you talk a little bit about that, um, was never going to be originally part of the program. We were going to be Cabernet Kings. Um, that's what we thought we would do. We didn't think we would be making whites. And uh, But uh, my wife is a Chardonnay gal, and uh, so this um, was instantly added to the repertoire. So this is really an inspiration. And I know that you have unusual aging method, right? It's concrete which adds a whole other set of criteria and fabulous characters to the flavor profile, doesn't it? You know, it does, you know, along the way, I think like anything, you know, my background, you know, I'm not really necessarily formally trained, although I did go back to Davis, but kind of more of a school of hard knocks kind of guy. 
and learned um, through a lot of local winemakers that taught me things along the way. And one thing I do know is you, know, you have to trust your palate. You have to trust what you like. And sometimes it takes a long time to figure out what that is because you got to go through a whole bunch of different experiments. So, you know, naturally, you know, you try barrel fermentations with whites and you read about that. You try traditional stainless steel tank fermentations. And then, of course, concrete, which is very, very old in the world of winemaking. But I'm going to say 10, 12 years ago, somebody made a white wine that became obviously very highly rated. So, of course, what do you, what do, you do? Um, you run out and make a wine that was produced in concrete. And, um, you know, obviously, it's, we're all kind of that way. Somebody wins an award and does something really great with one style, so we all rush over to that direction. But for us, what I found is there were so many things that I liked. Each style had its own value, had characters that I really loved and liked along the way. So our winemaking style, particularly for our whites, is a combination of fermenting in barrels, stainless steel, and in concrete. But one thing that is true for all of those is keeping it non-malolactic, which is a little crisper and brighter, not so buttery, um, the way to describe that. So this is my wife's favorite wine, dedicated to her, Susanna Reynolds. Um, so this is a concrete, barrel-fermented, stainless steel-fermented, surly-worked, non-malolactic Chardonnay from the Napa <laughs> Valley. It's a mouthful. You now have to say it three times fast, those folks watching at home. Yeah, let me try that after I get to the end of the run here and see how it goes. <laughs> your Chardonnay is all that and more. It's, sometimes it reminds me of sunlight in the glass. It's just so uplifting. And it has such beautiful minerality and acidity. So it's the wine that makes me happy. So thank you, Suzanne, for making that happen for all of us that love that stuff. Your history um, certainly is um, quite peppered with various events, both personal and on a larger scale that were quite challenging. Um, I wanted to talk a bit about all the obstacles that you had to overcome, not to bring the doom and gloom in discussion, but just to put it in the proper context. Um, the obvious elephant in the room is that we're all going through worldwide crisis. And many of us um, are more affected than others. And I think overall, the probably the most teachable moment is that it's a litmus test for us as a nation, our way of life, our way of thinking, what are we really made of? Um, and how we come out of it at the end of the day, because that too, at some point, will be managed, maybe not end, but will be in some sort of a contained scenario. Meanwhile, I really feel it's an opportunity for us as humans to shine. And you were presented with many iterations of such opportunities. And so this is not unique in that sense to you. And there was even a wine born of that, which we'll hopefully talk about next. But I just want you to tell us what's been happening since you started the brand. Well, yeah, I think, um, you know, we all start... For us, I'll just say, I, I, I'll admit my wife sometimes criticizes me or makes jokes about it. I shouldn't say criticizes me about being a dreamer. Um, there is no doubt I am a dreamer. 
Um, you know, there's just things along the way that seemed intriguing to me and just needed to be done. Um, maybe to satisfy your soul. I don't know what the inspiration is or what drives us along the way to take us down these crazy paths that we all go down. Um, you know, I just fell in love with the wine thing. I think it was around my life since I was a teenager living in Europe. My dad was a huge wine collector and loved wine. Same with my mom. And that exposure to Europe and seeing that lifestyle, I think, just planted a seed many, many years ago that uh, just never grew until I got older and had the opportunity to come to Napa. And we got here, you know, you think, it just seemed like, oh, this should be easy. It looks so easy from the outside. You know, it's so romantic, the vines and walking through the vines and, you know, opening a cork and pouring it into a bottle. But there's so much more to it. And I don't think you really, I think everybody has this in their life. Everybody has a job or things they do that people just, you just sometimes go, oh, God, I wish someone could get, have any clue what this is all about. You know, for us, once we dove in and kind of invested and did this, this change of life, um, there was no going back. You know, we were vested. We put our money here. And uh, so we did. We planted our vineyard. We had some obstacles along the way, a lady next door that did not want a winery next to her. And she held us up for over two years, you know, in courts, trying to fight having a winery here, despite 600 neighbors saying, yes, we had one opposing. Um, nonetheless, um, after two years, we finally got through it and we were able to prevail or persist as the wine has come become to know, you know. Um, we had many obstacles along the way, but, and I won't get into that tonight because uh, really kind of think tonight should be more about fun. And I probably, if there's clanking in the background, I should have probably told our cleaning crew that we're doing a podcast right now. So if you hear something, there's hard work being done in the back. They're persisting cleaning while we're doing a, 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 a oh, I'm not that. Anyway. Um, but this wine's called Persistence. So the next wine that we're going to have here is a Cabernet-based wine. So it's Cabernet Merlot, Cab Franc, Syrah, and Petit Verdot. Ah. To me... The Syrah was the magic, right? To me, the Syrah was the, the thing nobody was doing back in 2001. It was not one of the noble grapes um, from France, um, but Syrah was pretty hip. It was going to take over the Merlot space back in the day. And uh, that never quite happened. I know there was a movie that kind of made some of those decisions for all of us. <laughs> but nonetheless, um, for us, it made a brilliant wine and had the complexity of the blending arts and, excuse me, um, but some of the, the lusciousness, the fruit that the Syrah has that we use seems to carry that fruit tone through the wine. So you get complexity of blending, like all the French great blends, but something more unique that we wanted to be more Napa-ish. We wanted this to be distinctly sort of a California with a smile in the glass. So uh, this is uh, persistence that I get to drink. <laughs> yes, and um, one of the terms that leap to mind when I taste persistence is definitely sexy. So that luscious quality that Syrah brought to the party is definitely showing up in spades. What informs your blends every year as far as the percentages? Is this intuitive or what happens when you actually compose your final blend? You know, we started 
years ago, let's say the first couple years that we made the wine, we had these percentages and blends and certain vineyards that we were working with. So we always go back to that. When we put together the next year's blend, we always open four or five previous vintages next to it to see what what the basic character is. Mother Nature is always going to have their, her hand in each one of those, and we know that. But there's going to be something that uh, we're trying to keep that's, that's consistent. You know, when you open a bottle of wine and you're going buying something from a purveyor, I think there is something. You definitely want some consistency. You're okay with nuances, right, because that's part of the fun. Uh, we don't want this to be cookie cutter, but at the same time, we do not want you to be disappointed. So that's kind of our style. We opened the previous years. We have a basic formula, but then we tweak it. This year might need another percent of, of the Merlot, or the fruit just isn't there, or the spiciness needs a little more of this, or the acidity. So what's nice is working with multiple vineyards and five different varietals, we can usually find something that'll bring that consistency back home. And this wine has been in your portfolio for how long now? Uh, since 2001. Wow. You'll probably have a revolve in your hands if you ever decide <laughs> to skip a vintage because that wine is so darn delicious. Ah, uh, thank you. Yeah, you know, it's funny you ask about blends, and I was thinking about this today, is how, how do you really describe that, and how do you arrive at a flavor? And I was thinking a great analogy, sort of like if you're a coffee drinker or a tea drinker, um, you know, for you, whether you even say your coffee, whether you like your coffee black, there is sometimes how many coffee grinds you put in. There's a certain you like it this dark or you like it that light. Or when you're starting to add things to it, how much cream? Oh, they put a little too much. Oh, I, no, I just like one packet of natural sugar. Or, oh, I do like for everybody, there's that half a pack three-quarter of a pack, I just like a half a tablespoon for your mouth, for your palate, there's that perfect cup of coffee. And every day I'm kind of trying to produce coffee in a bottle, if you will, that everybody's going to like, but that's impossible. So really you've got to do something that's going to satisfy you, yourself, and your palate, but also when you do open it for other people, you do see a lot of smiles and you kind of get the sense, okay, this seems to be something that you may like your coffee black, but hey, this is pretty good tonight. I would definitely drink this. This is such a crowd pleaser of a wine. If I were to identify one wine in your portfolio that I have a hard time thinking that everybody wouldn't like. It's just so incredibly friendly. It has the depth and the structure, and we could talk ad nauseum about tasting notes. But the most salient piece to me is that it's, again, it makes you smile. It has those hedonic qualities. I agree. I agree. And by the way, tonight, hopefully it's Friday. You might have forgotten that because nobody really knows what day it is any longer. Being home all these days. It is like happy hour almost, or some places uh -huh. it's already happy hour. For us, it's always happy now, right? We're, we're all home. And, you know, this news around us is so depressing. It's so scary for so many people that, you know, it's kind of cool to be able to do this, to be able to just get together and do these kinds of things. Hopefully everybody's reaching out, saying hi to their friends, their family, a little bit more. Um, my positive spin, just to change subject for a minute about wine, is mm -hmm. through every tragedy, something good does come out. 
you know, for me right now, I'm getting to spend so much more time with my family. Um, we're making more meals together. I'm cleaning that closet that I've looked at for 15 years. Um, you know, those drawers, you know, when you move into a house, you ever notice like, you okay, we'll just put that over there. You ever notice 20 years later that put that over there is still over there? You know, that junk drawer, right? So now is that time that you can open those bottles of booze and hit that junk drawer. That's how I look at it. I think this is an opportunity. I know it's terrible what's going on, but sometimes you just have to look at the half full, not the half empty. I hardly agree. And my, my vision for today. No, it's awesome. And I'll just piggyback one thing. Please open your best wines. You know, that whole rainy day thing, it's raining. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Hey, I'm going to jump on to number three. I don't want to drag this out there. I want to start walking away. I'm so excited about this because it's a very unsung bridal, right? Cabernet Franc. This is. It is such a cool story, you guys. First of all, just as a little background, I know there's some Cap Franc lovers out there, but do you guys know that it actually predates Cabernet Sauvignon? I know Napa is known for Cap Sauv, so I was kind of surprised to find out that Cap Franc came before Cap Sauv. And of course, it relates to Merlot as well. It's a slightly earlier ripening variety, right? Um, and a little bit lighter. Uh, it's often used as a blending grape. Uh, so your classic Bordeaux blend is very likely to have it. Um, it's more subtle, which is why it's so much appreciated. It's a bit shy than Capsub. It's a bit more muted, but that actually makes it so much more interesting. There's a lot of sophistication to that grape. It still has all the body and the tannins and the color. It's just not quite as pronounced. Um, one of my favorite wines of all time, actually, is Guadalatasso. And if you guys have had Italian wines or have them in your cellar or have heard of the producer, of all the wines that I've ever tasted consistently, that's the one that landed the best on me. And I'm talking to Tuscans, it's a Sakai analyzed. I've always gravitated toward Guadalpaso very early on in my wine drinking career. And guess what? When I learned that it's Cab Franc, it floored me. So it can be quite powerful and it has, it takes on, it's kind of chameleonic, it takes on a lot of different iterations and different terroirs. So I am beyond thrilled that you made a cap front, number one. Number two, it's the 2017, which we need to talk about immediately, if not sooner. So please tell us the inspiration and the whole story. Well, I think there's probably a label you can see. Um, there's, there's actually a slide that'll go through during the rotation. So 2017, as most, most of you know, was Naples fires. And... Um, we were literally ground zero of the Atlas fire. We're right at the base of the hill. So within 20 to 30 minutes, that fire came down to the hill and burned most of our neighbors. So if you've been here, most of you have seen, you've driven, been up uh, Soda Canyon Road, almost every home next to us burned. So we were very blessed, very blessed to be sort of the fire break, if you will. We had our outer fence line burn, which is the photograph that's on the label. So I was sitting out after getting the family out, out of the property, off the property, I was sitting out on the road and then, you know, the sheriff and the, the last fire trucks came, they stopped and the sheriff got out and said, hey, we're, we're out, we're, we're the last, we're the sweep, you need to leave. And I said, well, what is the law? And he said, well, is this your driveway? And I said, yeah, I said, well, I can't force you to leave. 
but you should leave. So I said, look, I'm going to just sit here. And when I see those buildings catch fire, I, I know which way you're going. I, I'm, I'm right here. I'll get out. But until and everything Susan and I and our family had, our whole livelihood was sitting back at this winery in our house. So I, I just had to see it with my eyes. So anyway, I took that picture about that moment that's on the label of our neighbor's house burning and our fence on fire with our sign right there. So this wine is called Ember, which is you know obviously a play on the fires. And really what this was was um, smoke tinted. Um, big topic of conversation that, I mean, we could go on for hours and keep it very simple. You know, I get, I know I get told sometimes I, I go on and on and on, but, um, what is smoking? I think that to me, again, being a half full, not half empty person, so many people, so many wine club members and people that I was at dinners with, what does that taste like? What is it exactly? And I thought, you know what, why would we not? try to put something out there, if, if nothing else, for a much lower price than our other wines or something fair, the fruit that is in this wine is very exceptional and expensive. The conclusion of this interview can be found in the next podcast, already available for your download. Thanks again for tuning in to the official podcast of Palo Exposure, featuring Alona Thompson. <laughs>